You're listening to audio from Grove Park Baptist Church. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.groveparkchurch.net. As we have seen throughout this series, worship is more than what we do on Sunday morning. It is more encompassing than what we sing when we gather here on Sunday morning. Worship is how we live every moment of every day of our lives declaring the glory of God. Now, let's be honest for a moment. There are times when it is difficult to worship. There are times that arise in our life where it's hard to utter even the faintest of hallelujahs because the weight of our circumstances oppresses us so mightily that we cannot feel the weight of God. It's hard to magnify the glory of God when all we can see are the troubles that surround us, the questions that remain unanswered, the situations that refuse to be resolved. Yet, beloved, it is just at these times when our worship must be more intentional, more vociferous, more unquenchable than ever. And I suspect I know what you are thinking right now. You're thinking that's easier said than done. But let us not lose sight of the fact that it is at that moment of worship when things are at its darkest, uh, around midnight, that history is very often changed, as our text this morning points out. Notice with me verse number 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This phrase, singing hymns, should not be understood as simply taking out a hymnal and turning it to page 104 and starting to sing. No, this phrase is used elsewhere in Scripture, namely in the account of the Last Supper, when the disciples and Jesus departed from the Mount of Olives after singing a hymn as referenced in Matthew 26, 30 and Mark 14, 26. Now we know that because this was at the end of the Passover observance that the hymn they sang according to custom was, hymn, was Psalm 118. The Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118 are to this day sang throughout the Passover celebrations. So just for a moment, let us set the scene of what we have here. Paul and Silas have been beat senseless because they declared the glory of God to a girl who was oppressed by an evil spirit. And the person who was overseeing that girl was making money off of the evil spirit. And so now that the evil spirit has been driven out by Paul and Silas, he's lost his money and he gets them thrown in jail, unjustly locked up, beaten beforehand, 
And here it is that in the innermost part of this jail, they are in stocks and bonds. And they're singing, it appears, these psalms. And the other prisoners are listening. Indeed, it is the only instance of this verb listening in the entire scriptures. It means to intently listen. Two things come to mind. First, aren't we thankful that Paul and Silas were not so self-absorbed that they kept their mouths shut? Aren't we thankful that Paul and Silas weren't too tired to sing praises to God? Aren't we thankful that Paul and Silas didn't just sit there and say, my back hurts, I've been beaten, this joint is out of place, this bone may be broken, oh, woe is me. Aren't we glad that they sang praises? And secondly, the other question that pops in my mind is, why are these prisoners intently listening? Why are they so listening so carefully? Why aren't they, they yelling, hey, you two, knock it off? Why aren't they saying, will you just shut up? I'm trying to sleep. Why aren't they trying their best to, to drown them out instead of listening? Let's, for a moment, understand the plight that I dare say all of these prisoners are in. Roman jails should not be perceived as we understand our correctional facilities today. Roman jails were not built to rehabilitate people. They were used to hold people before execution. They were filled predominantly with poor people who couldn't pay to get house arrest or who had no hope of being released early, who could not pay or afford a bribe and generally had been sentenced to death. Their position in the jail is because they are awaiting execution. These places are overcrowded, had few toilets, a truly woeful condition, and I suspect death was welcomed. And yet here in the midst of all this misery and all this suffering, Paul and Silas are singing and these prisoners are listening intently. What are they hearing? Well, they're hearing Psalm 113, one through eight. If they're singing the Hallel Psalms, Praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. I can't help but think this morning that those prisoners might be thinking to themselves, does that mean me? He raises the poor from the dust. Does, does that mean me? 
And then they went on maybe to Psalm 115, verse 2. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. And from there, maybe Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. You think they might be thinking at this point, there's hope for my situation? If God has heard their prayer, is there hope for me? Maybe they go on to sing Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Maybe they're thinking now, this God they're singing about is for me? He's on my side? I've been living in fear of of death. I've been living in fear of what's going to happen next. And he says, do not fear, I am with you. And maybe just at that point, they start singing in on Psalm 114 and they get to verse eight, which says, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And just for a moment, beloved, I want you to think that at this moment, just as these words, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, are reverberating through their minds and finding a home in their hearts, that verse 26 of Acts 16 occurs. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Did you catch that? Tremble, O earth, in the presence of God and then suddenly the earth starts trembling and everything flies open and these people who have been Uh, unjustly in prison maybe definitely in the case of Paul and Silas have all of their chains unlocked all the doors open now is the time that they can escape truly God can let them out and there is not a mass escape no 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 notice verse 28 but Paul cried with a loud voice do not harm yourself for we are all here there's not a Exodus, there is simply the remaining presence of these prisoners. And could it be that the presence of God had stilled every heart through Paul and Silas's worship and was so manifest that they just sat there? in thanksgiving for God hearing them. Beloved, when we worship in difficult times, 
when we declare the glory of God as Paul and Silas do here, there are a few things that happen. Number one, it takes our eyes off of our situation and places our eyes on God. It reminds us that he is bigger than anything we might be facing, that we can handle anything and no task is too big for him. It removes the self-absorption mentioned earlier. Beloved, are you going through a, a difficult time? Are you simply thinking all the time, woe is me, is all that you can see all the bad that's going on? Well, when was the last time you counted your blessings? When was the last time you uttered praise to God? And you say, I am so deep, dark in it, preacher, I cannot do it. Well, then fine, do what Paul and Silas did, it appears from the text. Go to the book of Psalms and just start reading it. And don't, don't just read it to yourself, read it out loud. Read it out loud so that it's reverberating around in your mind so that you are hearing yourself pronounce praise to God for who he is. That you are saying, Lord, you do not forget me. Your steadfast mercies are present all the time. Oh, beloved, if we could just for a moment, just for a moment, in the midst of our difficulties, start talking about how good God is and what God is doing. Then suddenly all those things that look like they are about to swamp in on us and flood us out start to dissipate. When we start living our lives less inclined about us, and more inclined about him. Around midnight, when the worship is going on. Number two, it speaks to those around us who may be going through the same or even worse situations and it says to them, God has not forgotten you. God is here, he is here in your misery and mess. He is sitting with you. You know, very often, beloved, when people are going through difficult situations, they believe God has forgotten them, that he has forsaken them, that he is nowhere to be found. And when we start singing the praises of God and we start reminding others about the praises of God and how good God is, it brings them to the point that saying, yes, God, God is here. Or maybe I should phrase it a different way. Maybe I should phrase it a different way. That our worship, when we talk about the glory and grace of God, when we talk about how awesome God is, it lifts them up out of their mess and brings them into his presence. It says to them, no spot is too difficult for God to reach you. When you go through your life, beloved, how do people speak of you? 
Do they speak of you in, in, in ways that will say uh, their life is a constant hallelujah? Or when they speak of you, do they think of you as that character in Peanuts? You know that character in Peanuts that has the cloud that goes with him everywhere he goes? You know, I know a lot of Christians who are supposed to have unquenchable joy, who know the grace of Almighty God, and yet it seems that all the time they have not just a little tiny cloud, they have a Category 5 hurricane hanging over their heads. And who will believe our message if that's always the case? You say, Pastor, they, they, we can't maintain that all the time. I know that. I know that sometimes life gets us down. And guess what? That's when somebody else who professes to know Jesus Christ needs to come alongside of us and remind us, as Paul and Silas are reminding all these people in this jail, that God is good and he has not forgotten. In our midnight, they bring the light of dawn. How often though, do we do that? There's another point here, beloved. Our testimony of God's awesomeness in the difficult night as St. John of the Cross said, in the dark night of the soul, will lead people to ultimately believe our message and seek salvation. Notice with me, first verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And then verse 28, we've already read it. Paul says, no, we're all here. Now, verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. You've got someone maybe be your one right now. And you keep trying to figure out how to reach them. And maybe the way to reach them, beloved, is to worship in the dark. To worship around midnight. To have that joy and that peace of God, that peace that seems to pervade when the earth shakes and they all still sit there in the mat and just amazed at what God has done. And, and that just pervades us and goes with us wherever we go. And suddenly in the midst of whatever storm they might be facing, they look and they say, how is it that you are so calm? How is it that you are maintaining joy in such difficult situations? And you say back, let me tell you about my best friend. 
He's closer than any brother. He is always available. I can reach him anytime. He's been with me in the darkest points. He's been with me on the tallest mountains. His name is Jesus. And he wants to be your friend. I can't say for sure, beloved, if they're going to say the words of the jailer here. I can't tell you that they're going to immediately look at you and say, how can I be saved? But I can tell you this. If you can say that to them, you're going to get in their brain. And you're going to live rent-free in their brain for a long while because they're going to be trying to figure it out. And they might take a while to come back to you and ask you a question. It might take somebody else along the path. But beloved, I honestly with all my heart believe that if the church of God got to intense worship, crazy worship, unfettered worship, unquenchable worship, unconquerable worship, that people would be running and saying, what must I do to be saved? Beloved, history is on the line. History is on the line because we will change the eternal history of people by how we worship at midnight. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop there. Notice with me, uh, verse number four, excuse me, uh, verse number 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to, to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they not now throw out us secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid. And when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them and they took them out of the city and asked them to leave the city. So they went out to the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. You should not be treating a Roman citizen the way these folks had treated him. You cannot beat up on Roman citizens this way. It will put you in danger. And they have done it. They have committed a grave injustice. But when we worship in the dark, it begins to set right the wrongs done that birthed the darkness to begin with. When we, through our worship, bring the ark of justice to any situation and we seek to unravel the injustice done in someone else's life through our worship, through our declaration of the glory of God, we stay unequivocally that God is still in control. And that is what most people who are facing injustices in their life need to hear the most. 
these fellows have to declare that they have done wrong. And it would never have happened if worship hadn't gone on in the dark. Now, as I was just reading this text, this thought popped in my mind. So I want to just share it with you right quickly. It's something I learned last night. Beloved, when we fail to worship in the dark, it is us pronouncing the end of something before the end is there. It is us saying that God has no longer any ability to change the situation. And it causes us to miss something even better in store. What am I mean? Well, last night, with about a minute, with about four minutes left, I guess, there was these two folks down from us at the ball game. And it looked like Carolina was about to lose. And so guess what? They proceeded to get up and do the unthinkable. They left. And as they're walking past me, I say, you don't leave the game early. You don't know what's going to happen next. And what happened next? Oh, buddy. Me and 50 some thousand of my closest friends lost our voice and jumped up and down. And a celebration unlike anything I'd ever seen in Chapel Hill. Beloved, when you don't, and guess what time it was? It was getting close to midnight. Beloved, you miss out on the even greater blessing of God filling you with so much grace when you declare his grace when you can't even feel it than you'll ever know. Because then, beloved, then the words of the 117th Psalm, the one Psalm I've left out of all these Psalms comes into play. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So when at midnight, when he has finally come through, when everyone else thinks that all is lost and he has forgotten us and he has forsaken us, he shows up in a mighty way and he says, great is my steadfast love toward you and my faithfulness toward my people. And we say, praise the Lord. Such that we set off a whole nother earthquake of praise. Can you imagine, beloved? Can you imagine in the depths of your darkness, 
what it would be like if the church of God in Burlington set off an earthquake of praise. You say it can't be done. I tell you that's a lie. How do I know? Because a few years ago, Virginia Tech was about to lose to Duke and somehow or another they, I can't remember if it was basketball or football, but they won right there at the last second. And there's a seismologist point in Blacksburg and that group cheered so loud that it set off at the seismograph and it registered an earthquake. It is not the first instance of this. It had happened before in Baton Rouge during the LSU football game back in the 80s. Now, can you imagine if we praise God in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our depths, in the midst of our bondage, if we praised him in the midst of the darkest midnight and we set off an earthquake, what people would say. And you say to me, preacher, that is undignified. And I say back to you, that is what heaven's going to look like. Because when we get over and we see him face to face and all the cares and the sorrows of this world are done, and we see all that awaits us. Oh, beloved, I don't think that anything, I, any decibel I might have reached in Chapel Hill last night will match the hallelujah I'm going to let forth when I step on God's golden shore. And the question is, in the midst of your midnight right now, are you praising him? Are you praising him such that it shakes your world and shakes someone else's? Let's pray. Shake us, Lord. Shake us such that we declare your awesome majesty and, and the, weight, the, the, the weight of your glory in, in so many ways that we can't see straight. And no one else around us is left the same by our hallelujah. Shake us from the depths of where we are that we see you clearly and, and we know that you're in control. Shake us such that all of our hallelujahs flow out. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.